Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Drew View. In today's show, we are going to be talking about how the White House put the high in high office, and we're going to be talking about a bill that was passed in the Michigan House and the controversy surrounding it. I'm Drew Bennett, and you're listening to the Drew View. Alrighty, folks, thank you guys for tuning in for another day of content. This is the last day of content this week, so if you haven't already, be sure to go back, listen to this week's episodes. We talked Monday a lot about affirmative action going bye-bye and the importance of that with the Supreme Court's decision. We also just had a really quick 4th of July message and then On Wednesday, I talked about some other Supreme Court rulings and how people are talking about the court and kind of the danger of that. But it would not be a complete week unless we talk about a bizarre headline coming from the White House. And this time it happens to be that cocaine was found in the White House. So, what does this mean? Well, could mean a couple of things, but first off, I think that the most important thing is obviously who brought this cocaine into the White House. How did this get here? Was it the White House staffer? Was it a tourist? Was it the president or the president's son, as some people are, of course, coming out and saying? Now, that's one of the things where a lot of people are like, oh, those darn Republicans, they always think there's something up with Hunter. It's always Hunter's fault with those darn Republicans. Well, you know, if he wasn't a uh, crackhead and he wasn't caught with illegal drugs multiple times, then, you know, then maybe Republicans would be a little slower to go straight to Hunter and thinking that it's him. But that is not the case. He is an addict or at least he was, but oh, now he's allegedly clean. But that is, of course, going to be the conservatives' first instinct. Of course, they're going to say it's probably Hunter, because number one, it fits a good narrative, and number two, it isn't that far-fetched when you look at all the things that Hunter has done. Now, the White House, they went into a tizzy when they found out that this is, that this was there. So, The first thing they did, of course, is they said, let's order another test because it really looks bad on us that we have cocaine in the White House. But if we can just, you know, if we can just write it off, oh, it's just crushed up Advil or oh, it's just, oh, it's just this or that. They'll say, oh, you know, don't, don't worry about that. It was it was just something else. It wasn't cocaine. No, no. We'll just order another lab test to make sure that, you know, it's not cocaine. But anyway. That's neither here nor there. I think it is interesting that that was their first instinct is to be like, test it again. We got to make sure it's, we got to, well, we got to try and see if we can make it not be cocaine because that would really look bad on us. But that's neither here nor there. I think personally, one of the most interesting things that came about from this was at first it was reported that this cocaine was found. I want to say it was somewhere in the East Wing, which is where the president lives and the president's family lives 
Now, in the East Wing, I believe that they said it was the library or something like that. It was someplace in the East Wing. And now, all of a sudden, they are assuring everyone that, no, it was found in the West Wing, which is a very highly visited area. A lot of people go through there. So it is interesting. Okay, how are there disagreements as to where this was found? Like, is there, there, there can be more than one baggie of cocaine, is there? I would, good God, I hope not. But if it is in the East Wing, well, that's a whole different story because that's the president and his family or, you know, staffers, whatever that may be. It's not going to be just tourists walking through and, oops, I dropped my baggie of cocaine in the East Wing. No, that wouldn't be there. But maybe in the West Wing, that's going to be their narrative. Oh, it was just, it was probably just a tourist that, you know, left it here. And to me, that's still concerning. Because Corinne Jean-Pierre, of course, gets on and goes, oh, well, you know, it was found in a very highly trafficked area. You know, a lot of people go through there. It could be anybody, really. She especially focused on how they do tours of the West Wing that happen at the location where the cocaine was found. So it could just be a tourist. Now, of course, there were some people in the media that actually did their due diligence and surprisingly asked non-softball questions and one person asked okay so what is preventing someone from bringing like anthrax or something and that is typically what they search for and uh, again this was found i don't know why i'm saying again i don't think i mentioned this but if you haven't heard this was found during a routine inspection of the white house it's not like it was just so someone picked it up and was like oh look at this you know it was found during an inspection but that's neither here nor there. They were asking, okay, anthrax. This is, of course, could be used to potentially kill somebody because it's like this powder uh, that would give you this infection. I don't exactly understand how it goes, but that's usually, you know, when letters are mailed to people that have light, that have white powder in them, that's usually what they're looking for. Again, you know, you've seen headlines where, oh, a mysterious substance was found, you know, sent to this politician or that politician or this figure or that figure. And that's essentially what they're searching for is like anthrax. And they're saying, okay, what is preventing someone from bringing that into the White House to try and kill people? And KJP just has the dumbest response. She goes, well, I, I understand your question, but it's still under investigation. Like, that, that that wasn't the question. Like, we don't care that it's under investigation. What is preventing somebody from bringing anthrax into the White House if cocaine was brought, in, brought into the White House, assuming that it wasn't from someone within the White House, if it was from some tourist? Like, hello, that seems a little dangerous to me. Then I think one of the most insane things that she said in this entire press conference, somebody said, does the White House support the prosecution of this individual, whoever they find out, you know, brought this cocaine into the White House, does the White House support the prosecution of them? And this is her answer. Are you ready? I am just not going to get into hypotheticals from here. I am so confused at what that answer even means. Like, obviously, somebody brought this into the White House, okay? The, the little baggie of cocaine didn't grow legs, walk into the White House and plop down on, you know, some, I don't even know where it was found, but it didn't just grow legs and walk in there. It, it's not like that happened. Someone had to have brought it in there. Do you support the prosecution of them? 
What her answer essentially means is, well, it depends if it's a staffer or if it's Hunter Biden or if it's someone relating related to the Bidens or this administration or campaign, anyone surrounding that, we will say, no, you know, they were just a struggling addict and it's not good if we prosecute them because we got to be soft on crime, soft on drugs. We're not going to go really hard on them because that's our policies. That's why all these Democrat-run cities will never prosecute people for drug crimes. Now they want to make safe spaces for people to go do drugs where police officers are present or not police officers, but like where first responders are present in case you overdose. You know, we got to, we just got to make sure that everyone has a safe space to, you know, do their drugs and stuff. And this is the policies of, you know, these are the policies relating to radical left Democrats, while they're, of course, it wouldn't be stupid of them to then come on and say, oh, well, you know, we got to really prosecute this person to the full extent of the law where it's like, well, no, your policies and every other city have been, no, we're going to go soft on crime, soft on drugs. We're going to let people do what they want to do. That's just how it is. So I don't like how that is even a factor because it just makes it like, okay, well, now because she said that they're, they, you know, I'm not going to answer hypotheticals. So it really just depends on who it is, is what I assume. If it's Hunter Biden, they'll just say, oh, he's already dealt with enough. We just, oh, he's just, a, he's, he's just recovering. He's, he's in the process of recovering from his addiction. Or if it's a staffer, oh, they were, you know, they went through a, a rough patch and, and they're doing better now. They're getting over it. But if it was a tourist, and someone, you know, that wasn't a big, you know, a big, big left wing dem, they would probably say, eh, prosecute them. Just just prosecute them to the full extent of the law if it was either someone in the center or a conservative. But if it's a liberal or someone on our administration or someone relating to our administration, eh, leave them alone. When obviously the obvious answer here is Yes, we are going to prosecute this person who brought cocaine into the White House to the fullest extent of the law, period, end of discussion. That's all. So I think it is interesting. I think that was a stupid remark from KJP. And I think the most important thing here is the White House must get to the bottom of this. If it just you hear this headline and you never hear who brought the coke into the White House? That is a huge red flag. You have to investigate this. You have to. You can't tell me that there aren't cameras all over the White House that can tell you who brought this in or at least narrow it down to a few people. You can't tell me that you couldn't secure this baggie of cocaine and, you know, get the fingerprints off of it. You can't tell me that there aren't ways to find out who this person was. But what you can tell me is, oh, well, you see, we don't really want to know who brought it in because chances are it's probably someone in our administration. So, you know, we we just ignorance is bliss. That's what that's what we're going to go with. That's what that's what their strategy is. I mean, think about it. If this was a tourist, just think about the gall a tourist would have to have to get into the White House with all of the different things you have to go through, all of the different, you know, uh, security things, all of all of these different things that you have to go through to get into the White House. They're not just going to let anyone into, into the White House. You have to be, you know, 
God only knows how much they're going to look, you know, look into everything you have with you. They're going to empty all your pockets. They're going to, I mean, everything, anything you can possibly think of, they're probably going to do to make sure that only people who are very, you know, secure, people who don't have anything on them, those are the only people they will let into the White House. You're telling me that somehow a tourist was able to smuggle in cocaine was never found, and then somehow decided, oh yeah, I'm just going to drop this somewhere in the White House. The motive there is like, it's stupid. I I feel like there would be absolutely no motive to do something like that. But a White House staffer, someone who works in the White House, someone who maybe lives in the White House or who was visiting the White House, might have an incentive to, they don't have to go through all of this security and stuff. They can just, oh, well, they're a familiar face. They can just walk right on by and not go through all of these security checks. Well, maybe they might have cocaine on them. So I think it's a very interesting story. We have to keep an eye on it. And again, if nothing comes out about who this was that smuggled this cocaine, we need to start asking more questions. Someone has to get to the bottom of it. And I have a feeling that if nobody does in this administration and for some, you know, in some crazy way, Donald Trump is elected in 2024 or any Republican and nobody came to the bottom of who brought the cocaine in. I have a feeling that a Republican will feel no sympathy going back and checking out the tapes, checking out who it could be, finding out who it is prosecuting him to the fullest extent of the law. So just saying, you might want to do it now because I know the next person in line will too. Unless, of course, obviously they're going to destroy the evidence. They're going to do whatever they can to make sure that nobody can find out who it is if, if that's what they are going for, is for nobody to find out who it is. But I just think it's crazy. I just, it it, it makes me... Every day, there's something in this White House that just makes you shake your head, and it just makes you go, man, this is really the administration that's running our country, one that just magically has cocaine show up in the White House. I'm pretty sure it's the first time we've ever found cocaine in the White House that's been public, at least, and we know how the media is. It must be fairly important. It's not just a trace amount, because... The media would not want to report this, typically. The media is in the pocket of Democrats, so why would they want to report this unless it was a big enough story? So, anyway, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll see who they say that it is, and we'll just keep following this story, because it is important. It could potentially be a national security threat. Again, if we cannot figure out who brought cocaine into the White House, how are we going to figure out other things that are that could be much more egregious that happen? It's just craziness. But before I end the episode, I do want to talk about one other thing. There's this, there's these articles that have been coming out that are speaking about there's this law and not law, sorry, this bill that has passed the Michigan House. And what this bill would do If it became law, if it was passed by the Senate and then signed by Whitmer, it would essentially increase the hate speech or the uh, hate crime laws in Michigan. And those would be expanded and would kind of include hate speech. And a couple of the things in there are pretty important. Now, obviously, as with anything, this law has been looked at by conservatives and by Democrats. Conservatives 
look at it and say, oh my gosh, they are trying to criminalize using the wrong pronouns and it's punishable of anywhere from a $10,000 fine to up to five years in prison. That is insane. That is unconstitutional as I'll get out. And let's be honest, that's just completely wrong no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Now, Democrats, of course, this is always their line. Well, that's not the intention of the law. That's not the goal of the law. And that's what they try and do, right? Or that law, that's not even what that law says. Democrats always try and defect on the things that they're trying to do, right? They, they'll say, oh, um, we're going to push critical race theory in schools. And then conservatives are like, oh my gosh, we've got to get this critical race theory out of schools. It's, it's crap that our, our kids are learned that they're a horrible person because they're white. And the Democrats go, we're not teaching that in schools. Don't be ridiculous. And then conservatives go, okay, then let's, let's just make a law eliminating it from schools. So if there's anywhere that it is taught, it'll just be eliminated. And you say it's not taught anywhere, so we'll just get rid of it and make sure it can't be taught. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't do that. We, we still, it's still valuable. Really? Then that obviously means it's in schools. The same exact thing goes for gender ideology. We're not teaching gender ideology to your kids. Don't be ridiculous. Ron DeSantis's law in Florida gets named the don't say gay bill. Oh my gosh, they're trying to make it so our kids won't be taught what the LGBTQ plus community is all about. It's like, stop it. You guys are so bad at this. If there is no such thing as this, then we should be able to get rid of it. If there is such thing as it, and you want to defend it, then you have to be open to a debate about it. You can't just say, oh, well, it doesn't exist. But don't get rid of it. Don't get rid of it. It's absolutely ridiculous. But this is what's happening in Michigan. So they're saying, that's not even what the bill says. Conservatives say, okay, so so that's fine then. You can do that. No, 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 no. But, you know, that's not what the bill says. So I'm going to read a little bit of the bill now. So the legislation states that an individual is guilty of a hate crime if they intentionally do any of the following to an individual based in whole or in part on an actual or perceived characteristic of that individual listed under section two, blah, 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 regardless of the existence of any other motivating factors. And, and that includes things like, you know, sex, sexual orientation, religion, gender, race, gender identity, expression, uh, physical or mental disabilities, age, yada, 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 it goes on. But one of the things, and there's obviously gender identity or expression. Now, if you're associated with any of those groups, then you can be guilty of a hate crime if you do one of these things. Now, it's it's super general because this is what it says. It says it includes using force or violence, causing bodily injury, damaging or destroying property, or here's the one, threatening or, quote, intimidating said individual based on all those factors I just listed. Now, threatening or intimidating. Okay, what what does it mean by intimidating? Well, they define intimidating. And what is intimidating defined as in that law? Well, the act of an act of intimidation involves the willful course of conduct involving repeated or continuing harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened 
and that actually causes the victim to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened. So essentially, you can feel intimidated or harassed by being called, and and then this is what people are arguing. People can feel intimidated based off of, you know, being called the wrong pronouns. And that is what a lot of people are saying. Oh, well, this law is essentially going to say, well, if somebody feels threatened because you use the wrong pronouns, you're screwed. You're facing up to a $10,000 fine and five years in prison, which is absolutely absurd. This is, again, we're moving toward a place where free speech no longer exists. Not only do you not have free speech, but you have compelled speech, where you are compelled to give in to people's fantasies, where you are compelled to say, okay, I might not agree with you. My religion might tell me that what you're identifying as, what you're doing, putting on this charade of, you know, being someone that you're not. My religion tells me that I should not give in to that, that I should not, and now I should, you know, I should love you. I should respect you as a human being, but I'm not going to call you what your little fantasy mind thinks that you are. I'm, I'm simply not. I'm going to call you how God made you. And, you know, if you do that, then you're accused of a hate crime, potentially. Of course, we don't know how this law will go. And that's one of the things. You must make it more clear. There was a big thing that was coming out when Michigan uh, Proposal 3, it came out, it was about abortion, of course, after Roe v. Wade, and it did end up getting passed, unfortunately. But what it did was it gave, it said that you could have an abortion up until, you know, a certain time, or if you have any of these things, then you can have an abortion up until the moment of birth, pretty much. And one of those things was like emotional distress, but it had to be proven by like a a psychologist or something, a licensed therapist or something. So all you had to do was go to a psychologist, some big lib psychologist and say, yeah, you know, I don't think I can have this baby. It's calling me, it's causing me emotional distress. And the day before you're about to give birth, you can go abort your child. Like that's just absolutely absolutely wrong because the burden of like how do you prove emotional distress like that that's such a it's so murky you can't really make that distinction and you basically just have to listen to anybody oh well you you must be emotionally distressed you decided to come here so okay here you go go get your abortion one day before you're about to give birth or with this it's so murky Oh, it makes them feel threatened or, or are actually threatened. How, who, who is to judge that? Some psycho judge, some left-leaning judge where it depends on the judge that you get, whether or not you're going to be prosecuted and uh, actually charged with a hate crime for using the wrong pronouns is the difference between five years in prison and walking free is a judge. You, your life, five years of your life is in the hands of a judge, really? I think that is absolutely insane. This law has to be made more clear. It's that simple. You have to clarify this law before it gets out of hand. You can already tell people are jumping to this conclusion. So before it even gets passed, amend it to say, okay, we will not tolerate people getting prosecuted for 
you know, misusing pronouns or for, for doing all of these different things, there has to be limits. There, there simply has to be limits. You cannot just say, oh, um, you know, you, I, I've, ha- I've seen people multiple times. They might claim to be transgender or whatever. And if they look one way, and my brain is just wired to think, okay, this, this, and this. So if I call them by the wrong pronouns multiple times on accident, and and they feel threatened by that, then they can prosecute me. They could try and send me to prison, fine me $10,000. It's just absolutely ridiculous. We have to move past this craziness, clarify this law before it clarify this bill, rather, before it becomes law. It needs clarification. You can already see where it's going. Let's work on this. So anyway, guys, that is today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this week's content. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the channel. Maybe leave a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts go ahead and do that. It really helps the channel out. I appreciate it. Share this episode with your friends. Share the channel with your friends. And I can't wait to see you guys back here next week. But let's end now with our closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a great and mighty God. I want to thank you for this day, a day that we get to rejoice and be glad in. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak into this microphone. Lord, I pray for our country, our leaders that You will just help them to make decisions that are honoring and glorifying to you and just help lead them and lead all of us to not only just trust them, but trust you and that you have a plan no matter what and that you have a good and beautiful plan. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for sticking around and sticking through another week of content here at The Drew View. I can't wait to see you guys back here again next week for more great content. But until I see you then, you know what to do. Stay blessed.